This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. The Florida Legislature's 2022 session begins on January 11th and scheduled to end on March 11th. In those 60 days, our lawmakers are only required to pass a state budget for the next fiscal year and to pass a legislative and congressional redistricting map plan. There are insurance issues that need attention, and various bills have been filed to make things better for consumers, some of them building on last session, which Senate Bill 76, about a 41-page bill, did a lot in that direction, but there's more to be done. We are going to ask our guests today, who are Jim Saunders, who's the executive editor of the News Service of Florida. Jim is a nearly 25-year veteran of the Capitol Press Corps here in Tallahassee, and every committee meeting I'm in, I see Jim there. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Lisa. And we also have Mike Vasilinda, founder of and chief reporter for Capital News Service, which provides Florida's best political coverage on television for many stations across the state. Mike is the dean of the Capital Press Corps, a great friend with more than 40 years of covering the legislature. Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Before we get into specific proposals, let's start broadly here. 2022 is an election year. And I wonder if lawmakers will decide to wait and see if the 2019 and the 2021 insurance reform measures are having enough of an impact on Florida's dire property insurance market. And the word dire was the exact word used by the insurance commissioner in a recent Senate committee meeting. Or maybe we just need minor adjustments. So we'll talk about property insurance. We're going to talk about Surfside and that tragedy that happened there um, and a couple of other topics that I think you'll enjoy today. So first up, let's talk about, Jim and Mike, what happened in Surfside, Florida, and that awful Champlain Towers collapse. And I'll go to you first, Jim. You know, there's been a few bills filed, um, one that deals with condo board members, and if they take kickbacks, they could be guilty of a felony. What do you think the legislature will or or won't do based on that terrible tragedy? Well, I think they're going to be uh, facing pressure to do something but I think anybody who's been around here for long and watched condo bills knows how complex and convoluted and very difficult to, to uh, sort through what goes on with condo association bills. They're, they can be very difficult. There's different parties involved in that. There's the boards, there's developers, there's um, it isn't as simple as I think a lot of people uh, envision it to to fix the problems that have gone on there and to try to uh, uh, prevent something like that from happening in other places. I also think, you know, condo boards themselves are very mm-hmm. <laughs> dysfunctional quite often. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of competing factors there that, 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 that do make it more complex than you might think. Well, and and. The couple of bills that I saw there, House Bill 329 by Representative Nicholas Duran out of Miami, uh, establishes a searchable database. And Mike, I know you know this. When that condo collapsed, I remember our incredible emergency manager, Kevin Guthrie, uh, was seen talking on the media that he couldn't get basic data, you know, uh, how many units, what was in the units. You know, there's no, you can't just click on a and you had to go to the county clerk's office, if I remember, to try to find some of that. So that bill would would fix that if it passes. And then, of course, Jason, Senator Jason Pizzo, another wonderful, incredible legislator whose district that the collapse occurred, he's very concerned about condo board, men or, board members not. 
So Mike, from your perspective and your great experience, what do you think condo board members are saying about some of this proposed legislation and what do you think should be done? Well, I think certainly they are saying, how the heck are we going to afford this in the situation of that, the particular tower that collapsed? It was, you know, an estimate of up to $3 million. But I will tell you one of the real pressures, I think, on the legislature is the grand jury report from Miami-Dade that came out that basically said this stuff needs to be inspected every 10 or 15 years. Now, remember, harken back, I think, to 2005, 2006, the legislature passed a bill requiring inspections every 10 years. And then by 2010, the condo boards were so upset, flexed their muscles, gave a lot of money out, and ended up getting that legislation repealed. So it's interesting you say that I attended the National Council of Insurance Legislators um, out in Arizona recently, and all those insurance legislators from across the country are asking what's happening in Florida, Lisa, and what can we do so it doesn't happen again. So all eyes are going to be in the legislature. And I think there's actually two kinds of condo boards. You talk about dysfunctional boards, Jim. There are those that don't want to know what's going on with their buildings, and there are those that do. So we hope there's more of those, Jim. Well, and I think to go to Mike's uh, point uh, you know part of it is a financial pressure on these boards you know if uh, there's been an issue in the past about retrofitting buildings with sp- fire sprinklers and it kept getting pushed off and, and as far as i know it's kept still getting pushed off yeah, I'm not sure. and the reason that keeps getting pushed off is that you know it costs a lot of money to go into these old buildings and retrofit them with with fire sprinklers and i mean that's just one example of the types of issues that that uh, these boards might be confronted with if if all of a sudden they have to bring their buildings more up to modern uh, standards or codes. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are filled with retirees and, you know, they don't want to spend the money or can't spend the money. That is a, a factor in this that, that's going to come to play if, if uh, the legislature tries to require too much or, you know, comes down on the boards that they have to do certain things. Um, I, I think that's another factor in the debate. You know, and I don't see the realtors pushing very hard right now because the great concern was nobody wants to live in a condo or buy a condo anymore. But like every other housing product in Florida, the rates, the, the, the property values are going up and they're getting sold, you know, like wildfire. So the, the collapse did not hurt the condo market. Therefore, there are not realtors out there screaming, we got to fix a problem so we can get our commission. We will wait and see what happens i know there were those that were talking about incentivizing boards to uh, uh, pay more attention and to work on the maintenance that's being deferred next year and the next year in fact i was noticing um, the department of financial services has filed a bill um, that would encourage home hardening strengthening buildings and it would give a tax exemption for retrofits maybe that's something you know almost like a tax savings account if you will that would help so that may be some way to go. Let's move on from uh, uh, Surfside to the property insurance industry, which is near and dear to my heart. You know, we've had a couple of bills that passed in 2019, 2021. Uh, Mike, you were telling me before we started recording about, you know, rates going up with some of your colleagues. Tell us about that. Sure. I have an, a, a gentleman that works for me. His insurance went up $100 a month, he said, starting in January. And then my son, who uh, uh, owns a very small house down in a very rural community, saw his $3,000 policy go to $3,400. And you've got to wonder how people are going to be able to afford this, particularly if they're not on an escrow account with their their bank in a lot of cases, particularly if they already own the house. And it's paid off. He was considering... uh, 
going bare because he doesn't think his house is going to blow down or catch on fire. And uh, uh, he thinks that what he's paying is too much. And so I think we're going to see some more people doing that if there's not a solution here. Jim, what are your thoughts about it on the property insurance side? What, what, have you, your rates gone up? We're pretty, in, I would think, insulated here, but it doesn't sound like it. I, I mean, I've had an increase, but it's not anything that, you know, has uh, set my hair on fire. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy when I get my renewal notice, actually. Right. Uh, but uh, from what I hear from other places in the state. But uh, I don't think we can discount that this is an election year. I think that you can frame a lot of issues in that in that context, but I think property insurance is one of them. You know, there, there's going to be a ton of pressure from the insurance industry uh, to do something about this, but there's also going to be a lot of pushback from the folks in South Florida and the legislature, the coastal folks, uh, because you know it's if you do certain things, it's going to drive up costs. The issues last year with Senate Bill 76, I think the most one of the most controversial was what to do about roofs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the solution that the Senate pursued, which didn't pass in the end, would have, it would have cost a lot of people to have to replace their roofs, mm-hmm. bottom line. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of money for a lot of people. Um, I think the real key is how, how far Governor DeSantis wants to push on, on doing something about property insurance. You know, if he comes down and says we have to do something, I, maybe the legislative leadership will do it. But he's going to be in a re-election campaign, and does he want to take that on mm-hmm. uh, in an election year? I'm not sure at this point. We ha- we haven't heard a lot from him about it, uh, but uh, but I don't think you can divorce this issue from the from the politics that are have always been around it, actually. And you know. Uh, Charlie Chris gonna if he's the Democratic nominee is gonna say big bad insurers big bad insurers raise your rates, and um, that's just a fact that he's gonna say that, and probably other Democrats will say that some already have in the legislature. See, I think the governor's got to pay attention because it was Charlie Chris who uh, stalled citizens' rates when he was governor in 07 for two years where they couldn't raise their rates, and then they created the 10% glide path, which for whatever reason citizens never ever got to a 10% cross the board on anybody. Uh, and now they're proposing 11 and 12% across the board on everybody. And that is going to be some political pressure, I think, for the governor. He's going to hear about it in the villages and everywhere else he's going. And he's going to know that uh, uh, Governor Christ at the time was the guy that froze those rates. And he'll try and use that against the governor, uh, the former governor. Uh, and so we'll see how that's all going to play out by the time you know, it needs to play out pretty quickly because uh, no one's going to get really ginned up on the campaign until the summer. So, I, I, I think it'll be interesting, too, whether OIR, the Office of Insurance Regulation, approves that 11% across the board. Uh, you know, the Citizens Board last year threw out some things that were fairly ambitious to try to uh, increase uh, rates, for instance, for new, new customers of citizens uh, beyond the glide path cap up uh, so-called and oir rejected them so mm-hmm. uh you know i i don't know what oir is going to do with that but going to a uh 11 across the board and then 12 in 2023 
has not been tried before. And, you know, the citizens actuaries didn't recommend that. So, But uh, you've got Senate Bill 76, and part of it allowed that thing to go up 1% a year. No, I, rea- so, right, I, I yeah, realize right, that. Right, but, right. I'm but it just has wondering, to be justified from, actuarially. From, yes. Right, exactly. Yes. And, uh, you know, they were saying that some people in Miami-Dade, the actuaries from citizens saying some people in Miami-Dade should only, the rates should only go up 3%. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, if you put 11 on them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how does OIR react to that? And and I think, Lisa, you know far more about this than I do, but uh, I think OIR feels political pressure as well. So, uh, I mean, I think to think otherwise is probably a little naive. So. The only, the most interesting thing about what's going on in the property insurance industry when it comes to roofs is that yin and yang of replacement costs versus actual cash value. As you said, Jim, the Senate passed the provision for actual cash value. The House rejected it. There is now a move, like, for example, I have an 11-year-old roof. I'm getting it replaced next year because there's no such thing as a 30-year shingle. I think this all goes back to the roofing manufacturers. They put that label on the roofing shingles that says 30 years. If it's 110 degrees in Florida in the summer, it isn't going to last 30 years, and it misleads people. And so I think we have to start at the roofing manufacturers, educate consumers that there's no such thing as a 30-year shingle, and have them... Consumers, to my opinion, should have a choice. If they want to have skin in the game, have a lower premium, have actual cash value for those that want replacement costs, let them have it. But those choices were not offered in the legislature. And unfortunately, that's who knows where that's going to go this session. I do think, though, and I'd like to get your opinion about this, rates are up. When I talk to legislators, I ask them always, first of all, what are you going to do for the 2022 session? And what is the number one or two or three issue you hear when constituents call your phone lines? COVID and unemployment is number one. Property insurance is number two. Auto insurance and every other insurance is number three. Now, I mean, it's just very prevalent. But, well, you know, the governor's already said that the the PIP overhaul that was was uh, passed last year that he vetoed uh, would have raised insurance rates. So I think that was a cl- very clear signal to the legislature. If I'm here, I'm not going to allow you to do that because that is going to be a 30 or 40 percent hike on some auto insurance policies. Mm-hmm. But it will get rid of the fraud probably in the long run, which is the long term solution. And so, uh, you know, somewhere there needs to be a carrot there for people to have options much like with uh, you know uh, other things like hurricane insurance you can choose your level of of insurance that you you know deductible that you want and i think that needs to probably move into these other areas moving from insurance let's talk about this new covid strain that's out there because with insurance rate going up everywhere from health insurance auto insurance etc I think people are struggling financially, and the economic impact of COVID just piles on to their insurance rates going up and everything, gallon of milk going up. What do we think, what do you think we're going to be in the next three months, Jim? What do you think with this new, you know, hear about this new uh, strain that's out there? What are your thoughts? What are you hearing in the ecosystem about Omicron? (laughs) I think everybody's kind of shell-shocked at this point Mm -hmm. it just keeps worn out one after another and we thought we were kind of through it here and you know and and then so at least from a florida business perspective i mean the governor has made very clear that they're not going to do anything to affect or you know to try to in any way shut down businesses or or do anything and now it's all in state law too after the special (laughs) session so i'm you know if things get bad again, I, I think it it sort of 
plays on people uh, mentally in terms of whether they're willing to go out for for a steak on Friday night mm-hmm. and whether they're uh, willing to, you know, go have a cup of coffee with their friends. And I mean, that just plays out throughout the entire economy and also in the social system. So, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, honestly, I sort of this whole past two weeks has been kind of discouraging. It is me. discouraging. <laughs> it is. But, uh, it but is. what the answers are, I mean, and where we're going, I, you know, you listen to the national experts and they don't seem to know exactly where we're going. So, so. we've got to stay safe. Mike, you just came back from a trip. What happened to you when it came to COVID? Well, I mean, we were required to wear a mask every time we were in an airport or an airplane. But I will tell you, the airplanes were all full and mm-hmm. no one seemed to be too concerned about what was going on number of people tried to fake the masks down around their chins you know for a little while but the stewardess were, stewardesses and the flight attendants were pretty good at reminding them but you know covid did not seem to be a big issue uh on the planes but yet out uh, where, where i was in utah one of the resorts where i was skiing uh required full vaccination to eat in the cafeterias there and i thought that was Really, you know, it was one of two resorts that are pretty big in Park City where I was. Uh, the other resort wasn't requiring that. So it was kind of a, a, a catch as you can in one and the other. But um, I just I just don't know what this latest strain is going to be. And I, we, we don't seem to be getting a lot of good information about, oh, it's very mild or, or it's not. And now we hear Regeneron doesn't necessarily work against the uh, latest, latest variation. So um, it just... The next month or so, or probably be two months, probably will be very telling uh, uh, if how many other states start to shut down. But I mean, you're seeing people pulling kids out of school already to finish the school year, or at least the, this semester until this passes, and going back to remote learning. And I think, you know, the, 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 the judges, the jury's in on that one. It doesn't work as well as it should for kids that Absolutely. haven't been doing it for a while. Any bets on if the Capitol closes, Jim? I don't think it will. Mike? Um, I don't think it will, but I've been wondering, and I haven't reached out, of whether the Senate is considering what they did last year with remote testimony. Uh, ah. They liked that a lot because it they were able to really shut down a lot of stuff. And I don't <laughs> think anyone's going to say that out loud, but, yeah, you can have a minute. You know, and you're, you're not really in front of you me. You over at the Tucker Center, you can have a minute. Yeah, yeah, you drove 300 miles to tell us what you thought. You got 30 seconds. <laughs> We'll see. I don't know if they're going to do it or not. It dep- I also believe it depends on how many come come down with it or, or, or affected by it or are testing positive. I think that's going to really determine if they keep the capital. But we'll see. I mean, I, Jim? I sort of think they've gone so far down the path with this special session and stuff. It would uh, They're going to have a hard time going back to closing things off. I, I got really, you. I, I think. But at the same time, it was a very underreported issue. But the cafeteria in the Capitol was shut for seven days because the kitchen manager there had covid you know, and so the COVID, COVID has affected operations in the capital from that perspective. And, and, you know, if this thing is very strong and very serious, I think all bets are off. We're going to move on to two more issues before we call it a wrap. Let's talk about pharmacy benefit managers and independent pharmacies and that legislation. Um, I'm sort of following that because it I buy my medicines from an independent pharmacy. And so it's kind of near and dear to my heart. And oftentimes... The independent pharmacy owners, you see them in the capital as well as I hear them when I go through my 
uh, independent pharmacy drive-through talk about the the stronghold they feel like they have with the pharmacy benefit managers. Mike, any experience with that much at all? Or well, I think you made a good point that uh, they really are just the middleman between the manufacturer and the distributor, uh, much like what happens with uh, liquor in this Florida with the, the, the Tide House issue where the manufacturer can't sell it to the consumer. It has to go to a distributor uh, who can then sell it to the, uh, to the retailer. Uh, and that's basically what you described this as, and I think you're dead accurate with that. That. you know people are com- complaining about their drug prices and they and they are complaining about uh, less less benefits on their health insurance policy for the things they're doing but uh, so this might be one way if the legislature were to try and thread that needle to try and lower those costs in some way so far we haven't seen anything from the the, the idea of buying drugs out of state although that really for the most part, went to the Department of Corrections and stuff with mm-hmm. the kind of drugs they're buying from uh, uh, from other countries. But, you know, it's, it's one of those issues that it just may be too much to tackle. I mean, let's think about it. There's just, you know, by the time people get done with drawn maps, they're going to be tired. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be, because it's, it's going to be tedious. It's never not. So that's a great segue to maps, and this will be our last subject. And anytime we can do this again, maybe in the middle of session, talk to us about the maps. So for the listening audience that don't understand this whole redistricting mystique, <laughs> Jim, give them a quick primer on it. Well, it is kind of a food fight, and they, you know, the legislature this year, like they did ten years ago, is saying how transparent they are and how you know, legal all this is going to be. And I must admit, I am a total, I will believe it when I see it, because that's what they told us 10 years ago. And then the courts came down on them hard for all the behind the scenes shenanigans that went on and drawing these maps. And I mean, I've been through two redistricting processes. Wow. Mike's been through more than that, mm-hmm. but that's the way it's always been. Uh, it's not only parties looking for advantages but it's individual legislators looking to save their careers and uh, I don't think you could ever discount that you know I mean the Republicans have huge majorities in, in the House and the Senate and they can pretty much do what they want within bounds and the other thing I think that's just really important to remember this year is that the the court system in Florida has done a complete 180 from, especially the Florida Supreme Court, has done a complete 180 from from the last, well, probably last however many redistricting cycles, but it is a very conservative court now, uh, and 10 years ago it was not. It was a liberal court, more mm. liberal, you know, pretty liberal court, and uh, I, I think that the Supreme Court's going to give a whole lot more leeway to the legislature uh, whatever the legislature draws this time than they did the last time. So I think uh, that's that sort of feeds into the recipe of, of Republicans going to have a lot of leeway to draw the maps the way they want to, and uh, there's not going to be a, a le- as much of a legal check. You know, you draw a line a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, it can make a difference, and mm-hmm. especially as sophisticated as the, as the computer modeling is now. You know, I was 10 years ago, I thought that it was an interesting dynamic because uh, the House was considered the, the, the good guy in the fight because, oh, they put like 20 members and 30 members or so uh, in districts that were going to make them have to compete with perhaps another legislator, which there was very little of that by the time it was done. But no one challenged the House maps. And if you really looked at them, which I did very, very closely because I had a personal interest in them at the time, <laughs> they, were, uh, they were as bad or worse 
worse than what the Senate had done, but they'd done such a good public relations job. Uh, and then this year, you've kind of got the Senate being the good guy. Right. Everybody's raving. The Democrats in the Senate are saying, hey, these maps are all pretty good. We could probably live with these. But then the House is the one that's playing some games, it appears, uh, to distract perhaps the attention and how that all plays out. Uh, you know, but we will see it in court. I can't imagine we won't. Uh, I, I see that Stephanie Murphy has now decided she's not going to try and seek re-election in that right. central Florida seat, which does that mean An uh, Anthony Sabatini actually goes to Congress? It, pretty, more likely, anyway. More likely. But uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, the, how people chop this up. Well, I think, if, I think if you look at the two seats the Republicans have talked about winning the most— Congressional. One was Stephanie Murphy, and the other was Charlie Crist, and neither one of them is running for re-election. Interesting. Uh, in their yes. seats, and I think that's sort of uh, mm -hmm. it, it's sort of revealing to me, at least. But yeah, and in that in the uh, CD thirteen, which is the Crist seat, uh, the first Senate proposal look looks like that'll stay a Democratic seat, but where does that end in the in the mix? Right. Exactly. So. Well, I think that redistricting, those maps, those meetings are going to be the most important. You know, it'll just hover over everything else that's happening, including the budget. So we'll wait and see. This will be, what? how many years for you session-wise, Mike? This will be my 49th session. And I started when I was 18, and I'm 61, so this is my 38th, on and off. I wasn't in it full-time like you. How about you, Jim? You guys are making me feel young. <laughs> <laughs> I started here uh, in 98 was my first session, wow. so however many that is. So interesting factoid, because they only used to meet every other year. Uh -huh. I've been at 39.51% of every legislative session held since statehood. Wow. <laughs> Cheers to Mike Veselinda. And that will wrap us up today, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Florida Insurance Roundup. We have had on our guest today Jim Saunders, who's the executive editor of the News Service of Florida. I am a great subscriber and a great fan of that great news source. Thank you so much for being here, Jim, on the Florida Insurance Roundup and just kind of telling us what's going on. I'll see you in the Capitol on a regular basis. And Mike, you know, I follow your work all the time. Every time I see you with that camera, you've got great team members. They love working with you. You cover the news. You're very fair about it. And for those of you that don't know who Mike Vasilinda is or Jim Saunders, I encourage you to Google them, look at what they do, support their work. We need our great reporters and do what we can to we keep the media you know, alive and well, particularly great reporters like this. So, folks, I want to hear what you think. For those of you that want to follow the legislature, we can certainly help you do that this session. It convenes on January 11th. I try to do what I can to cover insurance as my primary um, issue, but I love looking at everything because I'm a Floridian first. And so we want to hear from you and let us know what your experience is on any insurance issue or other issues for that matter. You can call us and leave your comment or question for our later reply on air right here at the Florida Insurance Roundup by dialing 850-388-8002. That's 8002. Or drop us an email at Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. And I wish everybody happy holidays and that you stay close to your family. And all of us are going to have to pull for each other through this next strain of the coronavirus and COVID. And we'll make sure we take care of each other to be well. So we've got 
great things coming in 2022. We look forward to uh, other great guests. If you're interested in appearing on the Florida Insurance Roundup, let us know that. We love to sit down and talk with great people. We've got a great passion for policy and client success at this firm. I work very hard with my clients and my friends. I'm fortunate to have each of you support what I do, and I'm here for you anytime. So until next time, stay safe. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates' Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.